0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to Bite Size Business Breakfast. Best bits from Friday, October the 21st. Coming up, we'll be hearing from uh, Mark Carr. Marks, the boss down at the Coca-Cola Arena. He is hosting George Ezra a little later on today. So he came in nice and early, uh, getting his day underway. It's going to be a busy old day for him uh, to talk about some of the economic indicators that we can take from the live entertainment industry. I mean, tickets he's sold, the sort of logistics issues that you have, getting people and, of course, their entourages into town during what is a very busy time of year. Also, we spoke to Professor Rudra Sensama uh, from the Indian Institute of Management in Coicote. He came on because we wanted to talk about the Indian economy, focus on the Indian economy. Why Wednesday saw the Indian rupee drop to an all-time low against the dollar. Is that cause for concern? A question we asked him, especially in light of what seems to be a rallying economy in India at the moment. So we got more clarification from Professor Rudra earlier. Richard Dean got up nice and early. I think it was about 5.30 back in Manchester uh, that he got up to talk all things politics and economics. Uh, why? Because, well, guess what? Uh, the UK has seen another Prime Minister come and go. Liz Truss resigning yesterday. What knock-on effect will that have on the economy, Uh, not just in the UK, but also globally? Uh, And that was, no surprise, one of the big talking points we had in studio throughout the course of the morning. Uh, Liz Truss resigning and, therefore, a leadership battle uh, having to get underway over in the UK. We asked about the impacts it was going to have, but also uh, what it meant for the UAE. There are developments uh, on the Western front at the moment, uh, specifically Westminster.
1: Well, yes, you've got four winners. You need one more. They've had three prime ministers in four years. Uh, They'll be battling it out as well. Name the three prime ministers.
0: Three prime ministers, Liz Truss, Boris Johnson and Theresa May. Well done. I, I couldn't help but think though just a minute ago before you bring us more details on what's going on over there you know this sort of gathering storm about Boris Johnson a lot of people talking yeah. about the sport needs 100 100 MPs votes to get back it's got in and never change 49
1: going, I think at the
0: really, moment is this is this really happening Is it not just a plan between Truss and Johnson so that he could go on a four-week cruise of the Caribbean?
1: (laughs) I did think in uh, Dane's news there, is there such a line as cutting his Caribbean holiday short that could be more Boris to just come back and step in and run the country again? I don't know. How short's your memory? Let's see... It's all about the economy for us here on The Business Breakfast. That's the angle that we are taking on it for you this morning. We're going to wake up Richard Dean in Manchester in about 20 minutes. But before we do, let's look at how the economic issues have been front and centre because it was that mini budget really and the uh, the high growth, low tax economic policy that Liz Truss said that she followed a bit too fast uh, and too far that seems to have brought her down. This is about two-thirds of the world's shortest resignation speech from Britain's shortest serving Prime Minister.
2: I came into office at a time of great economic and international instability. Families and businesses were worried about how to pay their bills. Putin's illegal war in Ukraine threatens the security of our whole continent and our country has been held back for too long by low economic growth. I was elected by the Conservative Party with a mandate to change this. We delivered on energy bills and on cutting national insurance. And we set out a vision for a low tax, high growth economy that would take advantage of the freedoms of Brexit. I recognize though, given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected By the Conservative Party.
1: Okay, so what does it mean for markets? First up, Monty Saffadine, market analyst at IG, speaks, well, he speaks a little bit faster than Liz Truss.
3: So there's no rest for those following events in the UK, but looking at it from a financial market standpoint, and so far it's been relatively calm in the UK. Guilt yields little changed by the close on the further end of the curve, opposite what we saw with Treasury yields marching higher, and the pound little changed against the greenback by the end of yesterday's session. What's most important though is not to have a repeat of the game of chicken we saw between the Bank of England's Governor Bailey and then Chancellor of the Exchequer Quartang, the former winning out by positioning the central bank's car, if we're using the game of chicken analogy, in such a way it had to be be the resigning UK PM trust swerving out of the way and doing a fiscal U-turn. Now, since then, the bond market has been calmer with expectations regardless of what problems head towards the UK, and there still could be plenty this winter with inflation hot, energy crisis and growth going into reverse. At least fiscal and monetary policy are expected to be on the same page, addressing it instead of contradicting each other like they were last week before the new chancellor was announced. And the candidates expected to win are seen as relatively market friendly means you all have a better chance of me talking slowly than witnessing another game of chicken On that scale again.
1: That's Monty Safferdine. What does it mean for economic relations between the UAE and the UK? This is Ed Bell, Senior Director of Market Economics at Emirates NBD.
4: For the UAE, the overall impact of the change in leadership is probably going to be fairly marginal. There are strong economic links between both the UK and the UAE, but a weaker currency arguably makes the UK a more attractive destination for investment. What we could see as a negative follow-through, though, is perhaps fewer British tourists coming to the UK as the relatively as the UAE's relatively more expensive destination for any sterling-based spenders.
1: And one of those things that we do have as a tie between the two countries, of course, is real estate in the UK. A lot of UK real estate owned by people in this part of the world. We've reached out to the man who runs Knight Frank in this region, Henry Fawn. This is his take on what the PM's departure could mean for the real estate market.
0: Firstly, the new coming-in Prime Minister could have a slightly different stance on the economic policy, and therefore perhaps we need to watch out for changes in the base rates, and therefore the cost of borrowing for mortgages against UK properties. Secondly, this will also affect the British pound to US dollar exchange rates, and therefore those here in the Middle East with US dollar peg currencies could potentially have further opportunities to purchase the British pound. Certainly, there are more avenues to explore, but these will be the two main ones to watch in the coming weeks and months. Henry Fortnite, Frank. Uh, Dane's here in studio as well. The ARN News team uh, are crunching the numbers uh, with regards to Liz Truss's time in power as well, as our uh, Twitter and every other social media channel out there. What can you tell us? So, obviously, you mentioned the Daily Star lettuce
5: yes. earlier on. Um, pumpkin spice season, 68 days. That normally lasts, so little bit longer. Uh, the The actual Tory leadership contest that voted her in was 61 <laughs> days, which is funny. Uh, Sam Allardyce as England manager, 67 days. That went well. Um, if you're into your, your Kardashians, the famously short wedding to Chris Humphreys, Kim Kardashian, mm. 72 days, that one. Um, recommended time between haircuts. This is for like healthy hair, 7 to 12 weeks, depending on the
1: length.
0: Has she had a haircut during her time in office or not?
1: That's a really good question.
0: I think she did, because she had a bit of a style change, didn't she? Once she became PM, she became a lot more prime ministerial.
1: Did you also notice she started wearing suits instead of the pencil dresses when everything was going a bit south for those first two days?
0: Exactly, yeah. Yeah, there was a bit of a style change. She'd obviously seen the style office. Uh,
5: London 2012 Olympic torch relay as well, 70
0: days. And
5: do you remember David Blaine when he... He went in the in the box in London, you know, the
0: illusionist. He was
5: Were in a, you there he was at the time,
1: box. Tom? <laughs> Come on, tell the story.
0: Oh, dear. It's not my best hour, but we had such fun. I was living in Battersea at the time, just over the river. And basically, um, it gives you a little insight into uh, what British people find funny, or certainly Londoners. Because you had David Blaine, as you said, mm-hmm. um, hanging from a Perspex box um, above the Thames. Um, those on the north side of the Thames where he was hanging uh, were basically set up like this sort of mini village of barbecues underneath uh, for, for the 44 days. And just so the waft of barbecued food was going up to a man who was starving himself for 44 days. South side, uh, they set up a little golf driving range to drive golf balls to see who could hit the Perspex box. <laughs> Impressive. Uh, so, yeah, Liz Truss. Um, the only other thing I will say on this one is I watched the resignation speech with my uh, nearly 18 year old daughter yesterday and she said, Why is she smiling, Dad? Yeah. I'm no body specialist or like that, but the sort of the grin at the end yeah. and things like that, there was no remorse, was there? Yeah,
5: I, I was watching it with my mum and I said the same thing. I was like, It's like she's, she's laughing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Weird. Very strange. Um, what do they call it? Body behaviour or no, what's it called? Body language. Body yeah. language experts. Get one in. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast,
6: exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com.
1: We're going to talk to a man who thought that he was going on holiday, uh, but he managed to pick the country that's probably been in our headlines here back in Dubai more than any other while he's been away. Um, waking him up in what looks like the middle of the night. A very good morning, but only just to Richard Dean, Richard, g'day, how are you going?
6: Hey, Brandy, I'm good. How are you and Tom?
1: We are good. Where are you now in your UK tour?
6: I am in Manchester. And if you're watching on Microsoft Teams, you will see the beautiful Mancunian skyline behind me. It's 5.20 in the morning, 5.23. Dawn is not yet breaking, but people are waking up to the most extraordinary political theatre that, well, I've ever seen in my 50 years.
1: Well, conveniently, you are our man on the ground. Let's pretend that we uh, planned this. Um, Tell us how it's all gone down in the UK.
6: its I mean, you lived in the UK and so has Tom. Politics is not the normal conversation. When you're out and about, people talk about the latest celebrity gossip on Love Island or they talk about who's going to win the Premier League football or the World Cup in Qatar. That's what people chat about. But politics is is everywhere. It's the dinner party conversation at the moment, and it's because it, not because people necessarily care about the issues. Oh, should we have trickle down economics and unfunded tax cuts? It's the, the the personalities involved, and and just the 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 madness of it all is gripping. You know, you couldn't make it up. We all watch these great you know, Netflix or, or stars play, you know, dramatizations, don't we? Whether it's you know Game of Thrones or succession or whatever it may be. And this is really life imitating art.
1: I saw a YouGov poll suggesting that eight and ten Brits thought, before she resigned, that Liz needed to go. What are people actually saying, Rich? What's the mood now she has?
6: It was inevitable that she had to go. Um, So... Now people are talking about what well, the cost of living because fundamentally the, the the economic issue here that people are worried about is is rising prices and you know and that was a big part of it. So they're they're talking about what does it mean for me as as most of us do with, with rising prices. Um, you the 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 the, the thing that brought Liz Truss down just going to kind of take a step back was her economic policies. They were quite radical tax cuts, particularly for the well-off and for businesses, with the idea that that would stimulate growth in the economy and ultimately in the medium term, everyone else would benefit. That may well have been true, you can believe in supply-side economics or not. However, in the short term, what it did was drive down the pound and drive up interest rates and the cost of borrowing. So what people saw in places like Manchester, behind me and elsewhere, was not only were food prices rising and fuel prices were rising, but suddenly the repayments on my mortgage were rising. And this is a country where at least a third of all people have some kind of home loan. So that matters. And it hits them massively in the pocket. And that's kind of what did for her. The the what's in it for me argument.
1: So who could come next? We've been talking this morning about some of the rumours um, about who might replace Liz Truss. Uh, Two steadies, if you like, and one outlier.
6: Oh, blimey. Well, the front runner at the moment is Rishi Sunak, who was the the finance minister under the previous administration, Boris Johnson, but they had a, a big falling out and he was uh, he was second in the race behind Liz Trust to be the prime minister. So he's the, the obvious favorite. And he's got a finance background. He's got an MBA from Stanford. He worked for investment banks. He worked for a hedge fund. So he knows the markets better than anyone really within the government at the moment. He's from that world. Let's hear from him now. This is Rishi Sunak speaking back in July when the the campaigning was going on to be the next prime minister and even then there was a clear division between his economic policies and Liz Truss's economic policies Liz Truss of course even at the time was saying i am going to cut taxes and i'm going to borrow money to fund them and this is Rishi Sunak telling her in a debate that that was a nonsense idea i don't think The responsible thing to do right now is launch into some unfunded spree of borrowing and more debt. That will just make inflation worse. Borrowing your way out of inflation isn't a plan. It's a fairy tale. So they had very opposing views at the time. And Rishi Sunak warned Liz Truss, if you do this, if you borrow lots of money to fund tax cuts for the rich and companies, then the markets will react very badly and it will be a disaster. And Everything he predicted has come true. So obviously that gives him an awful lot of credibility at the moment. He was right. So Rishi Sunak is the favourite. But, I mean, Brandy and Tom, what do you make of this one? On a plane back from the Caribbean at the moment to the UK as we speak is one Boris Pfeffel-Johnson. Discuss.
1: Yeah, I mean, Penny... Morden had been considered to be the dark horse in this race. She didn't make the final two in the last sort of leadership beauty contest, if you like. Um, but if you're looking for a unity, uh, a, a unity prime minister, a unity candidate here, do the words unity and Boris Johnson even belong in the same room?
6: They don't. I mean, he was he was unceremoniously ousted by his party. He had little more than. Uh, three months ago. So the idea of him coming back seems fanciful. But you look at the at the opinion polls this morning, and he's second in the race, ahead of the lady you mentioned, uh, Penny Mordaunt. Uh, so it, the, the the Daily Mail newspaper, which is really, arguably the best-selling newspaper here, so you could argue the voice of the people, says it is a fight for the heart and soul of the Conservative Party, Rishi versus Boris. But I agree, Penny Mordaunt, um, who's been in Parliament this week. I mean, she's not well known outside the UK, but she's a very smart woman. She's a former soldier. I think she's still a serving soldier in the Territorial Army. So she's she's more than a safe pair of hands. She's a very compliment and charismatic and and um, impressive individual. But uh, at the moment, the conversation was, anyone but Liz, <laughs> anyone but Liz. I, I mean, with love and she's a human being and she has family and, and you know, you, you wish her well and it must be a tough time for her. But she was awful.
1: 30 seconds. The man who's not considering running, according to news reports, is Jeremy Hunt. And yet he does seem to be economically the safest pair of hands that the UK has right now. What does all of this mean for economic stability, Richard?
6: Well, he's stabilised the pound uh, since coming in a few days ago. And if you look at the UAE, what do we care about? We care about trade with the UK. We care about tourists coming in from the UK. So for us, selfishly in Dubai, we want a slightly stronger pound because it means more tourists coming from Doncaster to stay in the Jumeirah Beach Hotel and the pound is a bit stronger. So hoteliers in Dubai will be backing Jeremy and heaving a sigh of
1: relief. Well, thank you very much for getting up early to speak to us this morning, going above and beyond the call of duty on his holiday. Richard Dean uh, from his hotel room in his hoodie in the dark. In Manchester.
0: Catch up on the business headlines with the bite-sized business breakfast. Time for us to focus on the Indian economy at the moment. And something of a contradiction out there for many, because it wasn't that long ago, a couple of weeks ago, that the IMF announced that uh, given the forecast growth for 2022, India's economy had overtaken the United Kingdom's in terms of size, making it the fifth biggest economy in the world and yet earlier on this week news coming through with regards to the rupee the Indian rupee depreciating uh, by a couple of points to a record low of 83.06 against the U.S. Dollar. That was Wednesday of this week. Uh, as we've just seen there from the latest numbers, uh, it has come back to 82.86 since then. But we want to get a little bit more analysis on this one. That's why we've turned to the Professor of Economics and Dean of Research at the Indian Institute of Management in Coimbatore. Uh, it is a warm welcome to Professor Rudra Sensama he joins us live on the line, live via Microsoft Teams. Professor Rudra, thank you for your time.
4: Thank you. Good morning
0: to you. Concern midweek with regards to the value of the rupee against the dollar. Is
4: there cause for concern? I think uh, too much is being made out of what is just the price of one uh, commodity in terms of another. So when we look at the exchange rates. Obviously, the U.S. dollar uh, grabs all the attention, but uh, I think we need to take a overall view by looking at the currency strength against many other currencies and not just at the U.S. dollar.
0: When you compare it to other currencies, and as you say, other currencies also suffering against a strong dollar at the moment, have India's, India, India's central bank stepped in to help?
4: Yes, I think so. Although uh, it would be interesting to note that India's currency is officially not controlled by the central bank. It is supposed to be a market driven uh, exchange rate, which means uh, forces of demand and supply govern the price of the currency and which is why it fluctuates on a day to day basis. However, the central bank has the role of managing fluctuations or volatility in the currency market which means the central bank that is the reserve bank can and does step in uh, whenever it finds high risks in the currency markets and that is what the reserve bank has been doing over the past few months which means even though the Indian rupee has been weakening against the US dollar the reserve bank has allowed that to happen but has been stepping into reduce the fluctuations or the volatility with which that has been happening. So I think if the central bank had not stepped in, probably the exchange rate would have been worse. Uh, However, the central bank has managed to allow the depreciation of the Indian rupee to happen in an orderly manner.
0: What about the knock-on effects? How does this affect uh, exports and imports in and out of India?
4: Uh, So it does have an effect on a country that is dependent on rest of the world for exports, imports, as well as foreign investments. So if you look at, uh, let's say, exports, so a weaker Indian rupee uh, makes India's exports to the rest of the world cheaper or more competitive. So it's going to help exports. In fact, The exports from India have been rising consistently for the past one year. That is, India has clocked positive exports growth Uh, of course it's not been a very high number but still in the given global conditions positive export growth every month uh, is something creditable and I think the weakening indian rupee has contributed to it on the other hand a weaker indian rupee means that imports have become costly so and there are imports such as oil uh, gold uh, which are uh, things that Indians buy a lot and therefore it has been hurting the Indian economy to that extent. So there are concerns of uh, higher import costs which would feed into the domestic prices and uh, increase inflation rate. But once again, I think the RBI has been uh, very firm on inflation and it has been increasing its interest rates like the U.S. Fed has been doing consistently over the last six months to keep inflation under check. So I would say overall it's a mixed uh, picture Uh, while exports do help, uh, while exchange rate weakening does help exports. But we need to be concerned if the exchange rate drops too rapidly because then it would start hurting costs and therefore hurt inflation.
0: Given the strength of the economy that I just mentioned there, recognised by the IMF, there's no fear, is there, Professor, of the rupee going into freefall here?
4: I would like to be optimistic because if you look at the rupee's performance since the beginning of this year, uh, the rupee has fallen by about 9% against the US dollar, But in the same time, we have had other currencies uh, such as the pound or the euro or the South Korean won uh, were sending uh, or falling much worse uh, compared to the US dollar. So other currencies have fallen by about 15 to 20% in the same period when the Indian rupee has fallen by about 9 or 10%. So I think uh, the Indian rupee has relatively done better. And uh, one of the other reasons other than the Reserve Bank's role would be the fundamental of the Indian economy which have not changed. So India still has one of the largest workforces in the world Uh, costs are low, wages are low, there's a skilled workforce, uh, inflation is relatively lower. So I think these give strength to the Indian economy, which will continue to attract investments and dollar inflows.
0: Professor Rudra Sensamui, thank you, sir, for your time this morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us live on Microsoft Teams, uh, live from the Indian Institute of Management in Koe Kode. He is the Professor of Economics and the Dean of Research. there. Just the highlights. This is the Bite sized Business Breakfast
1: speaking to you on a friday morning and there's a bit of a gig going on tonight
0: all
1: right proving that concerts are back george ezra performing at the coca-cola arena we have Mark Yankar, the general manager in the studio with us mark it's lovely to see you good morning morning thanks for finding us the time busy day i'm sure give me the numbers how big is it going to be
7: It's going to be a great concert and we're probably looking around just over five and a half thousand in tonight.
1: Is that sold out? What would you be looking at for capacity?
7: So obviously the the beauty of Coke Call Arena is the fact that we can sort of scale up or down the building. Um, We always thought George is a fantastic act and we sort of had benchmarked around about five thousand. So it's exceeding expectations a little bit for us.
1: Give us an idea of how quickly tickets are moving at the moment. We've heard about Revenge Travel. Is there Revenge Concert going?
7: It's all content content driven. So certain acts will sell certainly better than, than others. Um, so if we look at George Ezra, we had a phenomenal spike when we first announced. Um, then obviously it's been probably in the market for about nine or ten weeks a bit of a lull, especially over the summer, coming through. Picks up certainly during paydays, end of the month and first week of every month, and then naturally, sort of the last five days before an event.
1: What about people travelling in? Tom's been talking about the stronger dollar, particularly against the pound this morning. We know flight prices are high. Are you getting overseas concert goers?
7: It's really difficult to tell because at the point of ticket purchase, um, we're capturing data for the person that is purchasing the ticket. Um, So you can tell whether it's international credit cards. If we look at George Ezra specifically, we realistically don't see a major international interest um, or regional interest for that matter. But if we go back last week where we had Coke Studios, so it's um, sort of uh, the the Pakistan music, we had a, a big um, tourist play, especially from, from Pakistan and across the GCC region.
1: How is inflation affecting your business overall? Let's start with those ticket prices, because you've got to get not just these acts out here, yep. but their, their entourage and all the stuff that goes around them is, as well. What's that looking like cost like at the moment?
7: So it's a couple of um, cross points. So obviously, when you're negotiating or a promoter is negotiating with the artist, it comes down to an artist fee. So Traditionally, how it's structured is there is a fee and it's a landed fee. So the artist management is responsible, inclusive of its entourage to make its way to Dubai. We would obviously then provide the relevant transportation on ground and accommodation. So the touch point of the inflation is higher cost of travel. So the price of artists increase. Sort of uh, boots on the ground here, had uh, transportation costs. Obviously, fuel recently has significantly gone up. The cost of food. So that is coming through in terms of food and beverages.
1: So how do you as a venue deal with that?
7: As best as we can, like any other business, we're obviously price conscious in terms of ensuring that um, the artist fee is reasonable. There's no point having a fantastic artist but a price too expensive for anyone to attend. So for us, uh, being a multipurpose venue, it's about quantity of shows coming through and at an affordable rate for all as well as in your food and beverage point of sale.
1: How do you figure out what an affordable rate is? What kind of uh, market research, litmus test do you do no, for that?
7: You've you got to look at the, the act itself. Is it a family-orientated content? Is a, is it an Arabic content? Is it a Western? Um, what is the consumption of food and beverage potentially on the night as well? Does
1: it change per act?
7: It's Everything changes per act. It's incredible the insights that we have, um, whether the act is on midweek, whether the act is on a Friday night. What time the act is on stage? Is it? Are they coming straight from work? Are they coming from home? Have, have if it's a Saturday, have they been to brunch earlier in that day? What their spending habits are. So, um, you know, for us, it's it's about identifying the type of act, um, and looking at the history as well. If they've performed in the UAE, regardless of the Emirates or the venue, what has been that price point? What has sold well? And, and then we have you know understandings of of. Um, market nuances. So, again, if you are got a show that is a week before payday at the end of the month, you'll find that people probably a little bit more more sort of um, conscious with their their dirhams. If a show, for example, like Jason Derulo is perfectly positioned at the end of the month and paydays come through, you may see that sort of splurge last minute. You know what? I've just been paid. I'm going to go see the concert.
1: Does changes in, in currency expenses change where you are looking at getting acts from?
7: certainly does. Um, so if we look at Europe as an example, um, obviously not only the transportation, but um, the, the entourage and the equipment um, that are coming through, logistics as well. We've got a phenomenal ice show that's coming to, to the venue in January. So you can imagine the, the cost of ice transportation uh, going up. Um, nine times out of ten, most of your artist arrangements are structured in U.S. dollars. So um, currently, if you're dealing with European artists, um, they love the fact that you do, you're dealing
0: in dollars, perhaps not so much about six months ago. Quick question about logistics, if I can. Um, we had the news come through this week, uh, five weeks away from the concert. Louis Capaldi, another big name coming end of November, was meant to be here on a Thursday night, 24th, changed to the 28th. How much of a logistical headache is that for you and your team? It is a little bit of a, a logistical
7: headache. Um, obviously, with that particular concert, we, we certainly understand. It was originally booked as a as a one-off. Um, so he was performing both in Bahrain and Dubai. Um, he has decided to go on a world tour. We've managed to negotiate ourselves as part of that world tour. Um, yes, it's unfortunate it's gone from a Thursday to a Monday. Um, but a couple of advantages for us is the fact that, A, talking about that payday, so it's, again, on the other side of of the, of the month. It's during the FIFA World Cup. It's the week of, obviously, the um, the National Day weekend. Um, so logistically, from a production perspective, yes, we had to make some fine ch- uh, changes. But from a sort of a market perception, we hope it's not
1: too much of an impact. 30 seconds left with you, Mark. What kind of hints can you give us? What kind of teasers you can give us as to who else we might have coming up in the next well, all, you have to do, so. all you have
7: to do is look at sort of Dubai calendar and, and what is happening in Dubai in, in Q4 and Q1. For us, um, a couple of big major collegiate artists are in the Arabic space. We're doing a lot of work. Um, we're very, very close to finalizing a phenomenal tennis championship plus music element to it. Think F1, Formula One after race concerts, add that to to the world of tennis and that's all I can say at the moment. Um, And then family, family content. So very, very strong emphasis on family. I've obviously mentioned the Ice Show. Um, Again, hopefully next week or the week after, we can talk about um, a beautiful theatrical performance that's coming.
1: I look forward to it. Mark Yankar is the General Manager at Coca-Cola Arena. Thank you for your time.